welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. I'll be speaking with professional singers, actors, choir directors, voice teachers, voice disorder experts, singing voice specialists, touring singers, and other experts. Welcome to another episode of the Vocal Freedom Podcast. This week, my guest is Jed Owen Ellis-Clark, a voice and singing specialist, practitioner, researcher, singer, musician, writer, and performer, teaching voice studies and practical vocal arts to teachers, actors, speakers, and singers alike at numerous conservatoire, university faculties, and privately. He's a certified Fitzmaurice voice work teacher and gained an MA distinction in practice of voice and singing from Guildford School of Acting, unique in its holistic practical study of interdisciplinary voice and singing pedagogies. He was awarded the Faculty Award from GSA in the same year. He works with diverse performers and professional voice users such as pop harmony groups, trainee lawyers and priests, teachers and business speakers, singers and actors, including recovering voices and those curious enough to want to find further depth in their vocal energy and presence. Using physiological experiential knowledge from sports and arts, including yoga, tai chi, historical martial arts, fencing and dance, body mechanics, and understanding primitive reactive states in the body that the performer can utilise, he works with individuals to find a balance of strength and flexibility, giving more openness to the voice and depth to the performance. He also works with phonetics, accents and vocal acoustics and presents workshops on performance anxiety, including presence and body voice work, to enable performers to work with the body's reactive nature when under pressure. So I'm delighted to welcome Jed Owen Ellis-Clark to the podcast. So welcome, Jed Owen Ellis-Clark, what a big name you have, (laughs) Um, to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. And I'm going to kick off with this question. How would you describe your journey with your own voice? Gosh, that's an interesting one. Uh, Long and unfinished. Yeah. In short. Um, I think... Overall, I would say probably I'm a chameleon in the fact that I've been able to play with so many different styles of voice in performance and recording and also in in sort of work with others. But I'm also now as a teacher, I'm a magpie. So I like to use what works rather than sort of sticking to one form. Um, Yeah, so I think think that's it really. I like to play, I, 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 I don't get bored, but I, I do like to do different things. I like to scream and sing rock music, but I also like to sing a bit of Schubert at five o'clock. So <laughs> I like I like that range, that versatility. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I think that kind of is the ultimate vocal freedom, isn't it? When you can just dip in and out of different genres and and yeah, play around. I think there. so. I mean, there's an interesting one there from a business perspective, which is that um, for some people who need to be really, really good at one thing then that means that flexibility and that variability might help them. Mm. But at the same stage, they've, they've got to be able to do the one thing. Um, so in training, that, that that brings questions because it's all right teaching everybody to do everything, but then often they're paid for one thing. I mean, particularly yeah. where musical theatre is very prevalent within um, training, within singing training mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do think you're right. When it comes to being the professional performer, if you're really going to be an elite artist, of some, you need to be the elite artist of something. Uh, you don't often get artists that are sort of dipping their toe. Well, you, you kind of do here and there, don't you? Sometimes people yeah. will be uh, successful recording artists and then they'll be on the stage on another gig or they'll be touring in I another think, way. You know? Yeah, I think in some in some genres, I think it's it's a little bit easier to be, to be varied or to play uh, in different areas. And then I think some people sort of think that I just need to be able to sing this. Mm. And I think it maybe shows, uh, again, particularly with the musical theatre where there is not so much of a training for old Rodgers and Hammerstein and that golden age 
And I think from my perspective and from my upbringing, I would say it's absolutely necessary. But to a lot of other people now, they would say, well, look, you know, there are not so many of those old shows going. That's not what people want. They want much more speechy, um, uh, urban, uh, modern um, language, particularly. Mm. So uh, then that becomes difficult because you sort of say, but there's all this stuff that you could sing that's just joyous, that's been so well written, but it's out of style now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think a lot of the drama schools now, they still want you to have your legit voice, don't they? Even if the majority of the shows may seem a bit more contemporary these days. Yeah, it's, I think it's worth doing maybe, in your training. maybe there are some people who clearly come in with something that works. And I think if they come into a drama school conservatoire and they've got something, you know, which people would think of as a soprano voice, there is no point in changing that. There mm. is, you know, you might as well just add to it, but say, great, if you've already got this, let's use it. Absolutely. Um, Whereas some people who might come in have not quite found where they're at. And some people all of a sudden have great uh, moments of, uh, of, of finding a voice that they never realised that they had before. Um, so I think the difficulty is when uh, we feel like we're shoehorned into a certain style. Mm. I have to sing like this, you know, um, yeah. that, that becomes difficult. Definitely. So is there anything that you wish you'd learned sooner? when it comes to your relationship with your voice? Oh, gosh. Um, two things, I guess, really. Um, the first one is breath. And I think everybody's journey toward their own understanding of breath and moving breath is a different one. At the same stage with breath, then I'm not sure whether that would have been something that I could have done when I was younger. Mm. Um, and I don't think we worry. About, there are some things that we don't worry about when we're younger. And, and that's when it works often. <laughs> um, and um, and the interesting thing is now that there are so many different ways of looking at breath that it's very difficult to be able to see what um, what should be done, how breath should be understood. And I think it is different for everybody. And I think from my perspective, in my training, I think unless until we come to an understanding of our own breath, I think it's very difficult to be able to understand the subject. Um, and I, I do go by what Catherine Fitzmaurice said over breath, which is that one breath is an action. And secondly, that rather than try and impose a system of breath, we need to find out how the body wants to receive breath. Mm, and I, nice. I really like that because then it puts the onus more on the body and upon the natural systems um, and the ability to react to um, the voice, I guess, and the reason why we're wanting to speak in or sing in the first place. Mm, definitely. Uh, second one would be acoustics. And that's a really interesting one of, of which um, only over the last few years, really, and particularly from people like Ken Bozeman, where that's really made a difference, really made a difference, not just to um, classical singers, which Ken works you know, that Ken works with uh, more, but actually um, to all styles of song mm. and understanding more to do with bridges and passagios that you might call, and also understanding accents, because I work across speech and song. Mm. Um, the more understanding of acoustics of the voice, of the, of, of the, as it were, the singing voice or the voice, means that there is a clearer or there can be a clearer understanding of, of what's happening within accents and why some accents sound wrong or untruthful. Um, and Ooh, particularly a, when you go from accent into song. Can I have an example of an, of an accent sort of being untruthful? Oh, is gosh. Is okay, that when you I'm mean when... give a generalisation where I hate giving generalisations, oh. but um, as an easy one to understand, um, uh, if we go down toward the bottom of the M6, um, you could say, and 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 uh, I'm not going to be any more specific than this. You could say that everything is dark, uh, and right. everything is, you know, there's no brightness there at all. Uh, but then you get up to the top of the M6 and you go up toward Manchester, if you like. Then everything brightens up and you get toward Liverpool and it gets really bright. So, if we're playing with sounds, in actual fact, some of those sounds, as far as what we're doing with the tongue and what we understand as phonetics, are are to a certain extent the same. But what's happening is the far as the pharyngeal vowel mm. is very different. Mm. Um, and it's finding that posture. And I love the idea of, I mean, some people do this, but Knight Thompson's speech would do it really, really well, where, you know, it's almost a vocal posture in the mm. same way that we would have the French vocal posture could be more rounding of lips and more forward and more 
um, uh, not quite nasality, but definitely play around the vellum. Yeah. And if everything's put throughout that, a lot of things start to fall into place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So. Okay. Leads me to my next question. So I'm after some light bulb moments. Um, whether this is a personal one or something that may have happened when you're working with another person's voice, but has there been anything over the years that you've really thought, oh, light bulb? Um, not so much thought, but felt. Um, I, I've worked with martial arts and movement uh, most of my life, and I'm working on um, understanding physiology to do with breath, particularly because rather than working um, to say this muscle should be working and leave that alone, because it's very difficult for if I've only got four hours with somebody over a period of weeks, it's very difficult to be able to say, OK, we're going to get into some really deep work that might take longer. Um, but one thing that I'd found with movement was that if you get the body to move in certain ways, you can make sure that the breath doesn't arrest. Mm. And particularly the ribs locking and so and you must have seen this yourself there, there's there's one thing sometimes it's a really good thing to get people to stand still because they're able to focus more and, and concentrate on what they're doing at the second at the same stage sometimes i will get people purposely to move because as soon as they stand still they lock mm. so there's this dichotomy that that we have between how much movement is good now, clearly, if somebody's just swaying while they're singing, then that might be lovely for them and very comforting, but it doesn't help us as an audience because we start to see that there's something disconnected from the song or from the, the lyric. Mm. And um, But to get people to do certain things with the body and understanding body mechanics and understanding physiology to a way where you can understand movement, that can help us. So, for instance... Um, and this happened today, actually, with one student who was really having a, a problem with a, a B4 going into C5. So just that just that area of upper middle within a, a female voice and within a pop song, actually. Uh, and I just said to her, just just do this with your hand and making sure that that hand goes above your head. Uh, and I got her to do that. And then and then everything fell into place. And she just went, wow. Yes. Amazing, isn't it? I do the hands and, and I, over I the went, head. OK, so how? So what, how did, why did that work? How did that work? What, what, what do you take from that? And of course, first off, she's sat there, can't work it out, can't understand how to do something simple. And there's actually a lot going on there. But the real simple ability to give something, somebody, something that they can already do that's going to help them achieve something that they want without having to understand all of the stuff that I've studied to get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and there, if you like, there the the, the light bulb moments that I that I really really like. Yeah. Um, uh, in the same way that straws, I think, an SOVT work is a similar thing where taking that and running with it, trying to connect it to other parts of speech, song, and then to say, well, what happens if your sirens aren't working? What happens if your top notes are not coming out? What happens if your middle notes? Ooh, what happens if they're not coming out? Um, what do you do if you haven't got a straw? So I like those sort of uh, playful themes, mm. if you like. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. That's great, thank you. So what have you found most valuable in caring for your own voice? Um, being sensible. <laughs> I guess even when I've worked with rock bands and we've only had, um, you know, a certain amount of space, then I'm the one who's got the rest first um, on tour, that sort of thing. Um, I will, if I'm performing, I'm quite happy to drink black tea with honey. And there's something that's very comforting about that. Yeah. Whether the tea and the caffeine make any difference is another question um, to most people. Uh, but I think being, yeah, I think, being sensible and that's not necessarily being sensible isn't always a um a conscious thing it might be more instinctive yeah I mean you've been uh, performing long enough now haven't you you you've you've worked out what you can get away with and what you can't get away with I'm sure 
Yeah, and I mean, at the same stage, I mean, I did, I, I sung uh, a couple of months ago where I realised that by the time I was getting toward the end of the day, you know, I wasn't on, I wasn't working on full, you know, 16 cylinders. Mm. Um, and so also I would say sing with the voice that you've got today. And I know there are some great singers. I mean, Freddie Mercury was one who, who really, who knew where exactly he was in the scale and he knew where he was and he didn't have to sing all of the big high notes all of the time. And he'd choose another route. And actually a lot of the time he didn't really sing live what was on the record. Mm. And I think that freedom to be in the present, in the now, and to be able to make choices is wonderful. And I think that's that's a big part of what we ought to be doing, really, to be present with the voice that we we have now. Um, and I, I, I think as much as we'd all love to just be able to do everything at any time of the day, then, yeah, there are, there are, there are some days, some days we're on and some days we're off. And I think... The only people who I know who've done really well as far as working on a daily basis have a daily routine that they stick to. Yeah. Um, and I think for them that works. And I think it's it's finding what works for you. Yeah, definitely. We're all a bit different, aren't we? And there are some people who... Um, it's really funny, actually. I'm getting a real common um, thread talking to so many uh, different voice teachers, but we're all pretty much saying the same stuff now. <laughs> which is all about that being present. I mean, that's really the concept of vocal freedom, the whole podcast in any case, um, because I think it's it's sometimes missed um, when people focus too much on technique and getting the sort of technical acrobats right, but perhaps they're not connecting with the text or, um, you know, being present in the song um, or the performance. So, yeah, that's the sort of magic spot for me is is when you're on stage and everything's aligned and everything's working and and you're not thinking about anything technical because we shouldn't be at that point really should you should be communicating <laughs> the song and what your or what your performance is about so for me vocal freedom is that and I just wondered because I know that you do so many different things and that you've also got in, interest outside of the world of voice like martial arts and and you get dressed up with these big costumes and I don't know what to call them what's that bit of your life called <laughs> uh well you could call it 15th century reenactment there you I'm go. not really interested so much in the standing around uh, um I'm more interested in the tournaments really yeah. okay and I think that's a that's an eight-year-old boy thing it's really really simple it's it's like being a big kid yeah and it's it's when I was a kid I wanted to um wield a sword um um shoot a bow and arrow and ride a horse amazing and, and that's pretty much that's what I've done that's so, what you get to do uh, and, and that's a good sign of it the really interesting thing is though what's come from that um, as I say in taking the body work apart and then understanding what happens why do people get tired why do people fall over why do people why are people able to keep the stamina up mm. um and sometimes you know and, and and when you talk to people about sword work particularly and you see these big fights on screen on stage. I mean, there are two things about it. The first thing is you realize that for every 10 seconds of uh, um, sword fight on a film, that's probably taken at least an hour. Mm. So if you've got something that lasts two minutes up and down staircases with Basil Rathbone or someone or Errol <laughs> Flynn, you know that it's actually taken quite a lot of time. Um, the second thing is you start to understand the body in a very, very different way. And you start to understand what works with the body. And even to a stage where when I'm working with people on literally getting up off the floor, actors as well as singers, and, and saying to them to do a sit-up, you don't have to hold your breath. Mm. And, and that comes as a real surprise um, that, that there are a lot of situations when we hold our breath. There are a lot of situations where we lock the body. Mm. Um, and they're often involved in those moments of confrontation, whether that's um, with somebody who we don't know, or more importantly, an audience. So, you know, we have a tendency and a very primitive way of, of, of actually stopping that thing that we want to do. Um, so the sword work is, is on the one hand, it's fun, it's very childish. And on the other hand, it's a huge art. Mm. And, and I started off really with swords with modern fencing and then moved on from there. So, uh, yes, I suppose it's a bit of a dressing up as a knight in nearly shining armour. <laughs> What a great um, thing to do. And, and, but the second thing is, is actually sort of trying to play chess with big bits of steel. But then underneath that, as I say, is the training to be able to do something that looks really complicated, that actually uses um, 
uh, is quite efficient, actually, and artistic. And that's everything that we do in voice as well. That's exactly what we're working toward. We're trying to make something um, difficult, look easy. We're trying to make it efficient. Um, we're trying to make it uh, energized, but not tense. Yeah. So yeah, it, keep it, it moving. fits in with all of all of those things. And I'm also working on um, swords and words at the moment, or swords and wards, if you like, <laughs> as far as the, the gameplay of words, um, which is to say, how can we really have um fight work going on with dialogue that doesn't end up being fight speak fight speak fight speak how can you actually do something that would have been more realistic and how can we um bring the sword work or the fighting work into the text mm. um to to really bring that together so i'm getting flashbacks of drama school now where we had to do fencing and parrying and um I hated it, actually. I don't, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure it's great. And I did remember going to a jousting tournament when I was a kid, and that looked really exciting with people on horses and stuff. But uh, for me, I, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit of a wuss. I remember uh, when I was le learning a bit about um, stage fighting and I had to sort of take a, a, a sort of stage slap to the face, and I was a gibbering wreck. I was just like, I couldn't do it. I was like, get off me, get off me. The teacher's going, it's fine. I'm not actually going to really hurt you. But allowing someone to slap you in the face, even when you know it's not going to hurt, it's really unnatural to me. Well, it takes, I think, again, bringing it back to singing, you know, I came across so many people who came to me who said, I, you know, I said, what do you want? And they said, oh, I need more confidence. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, I don't, I've got no confidence. I've got bags of patience. Yeah. But I've got no, <laughs> there's no confidence. In fact, actually, confidence, I removed the word. And I... I said, look, I said, if you want confidence, you've got to have commitment. So every time you come across confidence, just get rid of that and put commitment in. And that's the same as fighting. Mm. And sometimes if you don't commit, it becomes dangerous on stage, particularly. Um, in singing, that's not quite the case. But what was really interesting was that I asked a Spanish student of mine over commitment. And I said, what's the Spanish word for commitment? And she said, there isn't one. And I went, that's really interesting for oh. some of my Spanish friends. And but she said, no, actually, probably the nearest to it is compromiso, which I thought that was really interesting for a, a stage element as well, because to get confidence, we have to commit to something knowing full well that actually it's a compromise before between how we think it's going to go, because every one of us wonder about how that's going to go on stage and I'm going to move to that place or I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to pull the mic stand off at that point. I'm going to. Um, there's a compromise between how we think it's going to go and actually what happens on the night. Mm, that's true. And that element of being in the moment and back to that presence that you mentioned earlier, I think is a really, really important issue that we need to spend, from my perspective, you know, I spend more time on that now with my students rather than just the musical element or the, the technical element. There's much more awareness of, of, of really of what's going on. Because confidence, I think, can only... Um, confidence only comes from getting it right. If yeah. I've done something once, and as, as I'm sure so many people have, uh, and particularly teachers have found with working online at the moment, how is that going to happen? How is that, you know? Um, once we've done it once, it becomes so much easier to do it again. But if we've done it once and it didn't really go well, and if somebody says, would you do that song or that gig again tomorrow night? And it's not going to say, well, you're probably not going to be so confident ever going, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so I think it's commitment. I think I think it's commitment. I think it's really saying this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to I'm going to go for it and I'm going to throw myself in. And if I fail, sometimes that failing is actually a spectacular success. Uh, and sometimes I know with actors who've said that actually it, it went completely different to how I thought. And actually it went brilliantly. Mm. Um even though it didn't go how I how I planned it, I think it sounds to me as well that that your um, your ethos when you're working with people obviously is is an individual and they've all got individual um, needs, desires, etc. But it's also giving people room to find their way of doing something and then ha them having the means to kind of improvise around it rather than it being this set plan. Do you know yeah. what I mean by that? I, mean, I, sort I do of... believe uh, uh, teach what's in front of you. Um, yeah. uh, and that definitely came from the training that I did with Fitzmaurice voice work. And I'd say I'd go further than that. I mean, the, 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 you can't, people are not, we're not cookie cutters, mm. you know, and, and I think that's really important. I think the presence issue is really difficult because people think that they're coming for musical training and technical training. And sometimes I'm sure you meet the same where 
you meet somebody, their scales are all in place. They know the notes, but they've just got some issues with energy mm. or, 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 or locking or breath or something. And sometimes in actual fact, that's working, but they're just not sure how to express themselves. So I think sometimes the work is, is stopping singing at times, actually. Stop singing. Mm. I, don't, I try not to say this, but, but if you can imagine, stop singing and can you just express something? And I think one of the worst things to do is to just get people to sing words on notes mm. because it's almost as if they're not there. And I think um, I go by um, something I learned a few years ago, which was, uh, um, I think it was one of the tutors, I think it was Barbara at, um, at Guildford, who said, don't get in the way of the text. Right, great. Okay, don't get in the way of the text. You are a conduit for the text mm. or the song. Don't get in the way. Yeah, and I think if for a resonant voice... I think that's a really important thing. The only problem is that there is another side of that which goes, actually, I'm not interested in the text or the song. I'm interested in you. I want your version. Where are you in this? Uh, and I think that increasingly becomes really, really important because when we look at a lot of the, um, the stuff that's online, we start to see I'm doing a, a version of that song just like her or just like him. And it becomes almost a karaoke version. And sometimes that's a really good thing to learn skills. Um, but unfortunately, it also means that sometimes we're trying to do it just like somebody else, which is fine if we do it with our voice. But if we're just trying to be them, we might not have the same vocal tracts and everything as them or the same history. Um, uh, and so then that becomes um, counterproductive. Yeah, and it's not authentic then, is it? Because it's just almost somebody manipulating their voice to sound like somebody else instead of finding their sort of yeah. you know their their true voice and well that can yeah be and absolutely and I think the biggest difficulty at the moment we have is what is truth mm. you know we live in a world where I'm, I'm not sure what to trust in the news um our interpret we're, we're finding out so much more about science as far as our interpretation of the world whether that's colors and how people see things from synesthesia as far as seeing sound in colors that's a you know uh, my dad was colorblind um, what does that mean to see red and green the wrong way round? And he was an electrical engineer, so he worked with fuses. I mean, how how he read fuses, I'm not <laughs> sure, but he got it right most of the time, from what I know. Yeah. I don't think he always got traffic lights right, but that's another story. Oh, my. Um, so, so I do think that's an interesting one where, um, yeah, we talk about truth, don't we? We sort of yeah. say, you know, what's your truth? I want I want to hear the truth of this situation, of this character going through the moment or, or, or in a pop song, you know, that moment where something changed. And I think that's really difficult to be able to pinpoint because if I sing a song the, every day for a week, it's going to be different seven days. Mm. And I think it should be. I think performances should be, um, even though the technical standard of them, particularly in something where you're doing shows every day, should be equally as good, equally as professional. I think that's a really difficult ask and it shows the challenge and the difficulties that we have within this industry and it also shows I suppose the artistry and the again the commitment that performers have that they work so hard that they can make that look so easy um, and we've got to try and help them do that <laughs> not much to ask yeah I know it's amazing isn't it but this this is why I say to people there's so much more to being a voice coach than just talking about voice because when you're working with people who may have you know, a myriad of different blockages or reasons that they're not feeling that they can do what they want to do. There's so much more that we have to look at, which is why I'm not only speaking with voice specialists on the Vocal Freedom podcast, I'm speaking to people that have um, expertise in, you know, alternative therapies and things that have an effect on the body, effect on the person, then therefore a positive effect on a voice. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see where this goes. Here we go. I'm going to ask you a two-pointer. Okay. I would like to know, Jed, what voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? Oh, gosh. Um, I could never tire of listening to Pavarotti, but an earlier tenor, Laura Volpi, um, I could probably never tire of. There's something about what they did with resonance. And, and of course, this is, I'm going on the fact that I'm only listening to recordings yeah. um, to say that I could um, 
and, and the quality and the resonance within the recording. So I, I don't know what their voice sounded like originally. Yeah. Um, but there's something about them that moved me, about Laura Volpi that moved me. Um, I think in a modern day and age, gosh, I think there are some people, some singers, um, I think Sarah Brellis at times moves me because it's almost as if she's got a direct connection from her heart through mm. and she makes it sound easy. Um, I think Delta Goodrum similarly, but Sarah Brellis wins yeah. uh, on that one. Um, I think on the male side of things, I think it's, I think that's a very, very difficult one now. Um, from a modern perspective. Yeah, I think again, probably I'm a magpie on that one. And I think I listened to so many mm. that I would never have as far as modern, as far as pop music, rock music, urban musical theater, that sort of thing. I would never have a favorite. Yeah. Um, I like artistry. I like to feel that somebody means it, whatever that, and we just made, made truth, but um uh, yeah, I think that's a that's, you've got me on that one. I think that's a really <laughs> difficult question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think also it's it depends how you take it. I mean, when it comes to what voice what voices inspire you, um, maybe I'm thinking more about a younger Jed who decided he was going to be a singer. You know, what sort of led you down that? Well, oh, I could do this job. You know, I'd like to do this. It was was there an influence when you were uh, a young man? No, that sounds awful. You're still a young simple. man. <laughs> Quite simple. Oh, oh really? Really, really simple. Um, yeah, I think, and not necessarily just for the Don't Stop Believing and, and that single album. I think what he did after that was quite incredible as well. What he did before that actually was wonderful. And there was something, again, something that I don't think you necessarily learn in singing class mm. that he was able to do. But it was still, it was almost, it was almost like a, a legato phrasing. It made sense with what I'd done with all of the teachers that I'd had before. Um, and I don't know whether it was that sort of American radio music of the late seventies that started that off. Um, but there was something that worked, uh, mm. there was something that worked. And I think particularly that was probably one that I really enjoyed, um, uh, what singing along to emulating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it was just those notes to be able to go, wow, you can sing top Fs. Are you allowed to do that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's play with that um so i remember there, there was a, there was a mention the other day from um uh, from somebody who said you know can you sing a low say a low c a c2 and i said yeah i can do that but i prefer to sit above c4 yeah so i love that i love that play with range and and with the sort of depths of things um um but also with the with the playing with the well how do how do people do that how can they sit um, on those high notes and, and keep it going. Um, so yeah, I yeah okay. Steve Perry journey. Steve Perry, you're not the only one who's mentioned him. That's really interesting. And I'm not I'm not that many episodes in, so it's very interesting to see if these names will keep coming back. But it's um, interesting, you know, just to move on from that, which is that the guy who's now singing with Journey, who sounds who can do pretty much what Steve Perry did, is brilliant, and it gives everybody all of the. Um, uh, all of the notes and all of the songs in a very journey way, but he's not the same. No, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Um, in the same as Adam Lambert, who's got an incredible voice, who can do all of the Queen stuff and do all of the original notes, but it's just not the same. So if it keeps the, if it keeps the tradition alive, if it keeps the gigs going so you can see some of the original members, then I, I think that's wonderful. Um, but it's not, but it's not the same. No, that's right. I mean, you're right. And I, I've, been fortunate enough to see all of those people except Steve Perry but I did see Journey um many years ago when that singer I can never remember his name he I want to call him Arturo Ui and I know it's not him but there's an <laughs> what's his name I can't remember I can't I remember either but um yeah it's not that um but yeah I I, I did and I was like amazed because he's tiny as well isn't he he's this little um this little guy and uh I, I was amazed at what he could actually do I saw him live um but that's an interesting yeah. one. Sorry to. That's an no. interesting one as well. You sort of say about short. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I first saw Chris Cornell, who I'm mm. a huge, huge fan of. Uh, and sadly, we lost. Uh, and and I saw him coming on singing Jesus Christ Pose on, the, and I didn't realise he was tiny as well. John think, Bon Jovi's another one. Yeah. So then, when you start looking at anatomy and you start realising, okay, they're probably if they're smaller, then does that mean the larynx is smaller? And does that mean then? 
they're able to their tessitura is higher i think so, i i would say yeah. yes i do think it comes down to voice type but not necessarily in the sort of traditional classical voice types i think size and shape's got a lot to say really hasn't it i mean if okay here's an example right so i started working with a singer a couple of years ago who wanted to um go out with his band and do a rod stewart tribute fine not judgmental whatever he came in and he could kind of mimic there was a bit of you know it was a rod stewart kind of vibe about what he was doing but um he was trying to sing maggie may or something and it was just clearly too high he, he was straining all over it I said, why don't we just lower the key a little bit? No, can't do that. That's not the key Rod does it. And I went, I don't even think Rod does it in this key anymore. Um, but why is that so important to this guy? I don't know. And I said, listen, if you're going to keep playing up there at the edge of your voice all the time, you're probably going to get hyper... Um, what's the word I mean? Hyperactive there, if you know what I mean. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause some problems. So we parted ways because I was like, I'm not prepared to keep, you know, seeing you strain yourself in this way and, and suggest it's a good thing. Consider yeah. the fact that you're six foot four and he's five foot seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I know, that, I think that's sensible. Yeah. I think I, I, I would say that there's, you know, if you, if you, if you, if somebody is continually doing something which you know is destructive, mm. I think we've got to be responsible and to say, if that's what you want to do, then I can't yeah. stand by it. I, don't, you know? I, I did just in the end very politely say just find a different teacher because I don't want you to hurt yourself and I'm not prepared to um I don't I just didn't agree with not changing the key because I change keys all the time I think it's sensible if you want to tell the story and you want it to sit somewhere where you can feel free saying it then you've got to put it in a place that's sort of comfortable for your voice I mean obviously you can work at extremes but not all the time who'd want to do yeah. that you know you play with it which is interesting because there are times when I sort of think that you have to stick to the original key. There's a huge difference between, um, let's say, A flat or B flat major, E flat major and, and, and E or B, you know? So if you're not if far I'm, away, if I've got something that's written in, yeah. you know, F minor, and then you start changing it to, um, I don't know, uh, um, D minor, it's going to change. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it gonna, is. Sometimes it changes. But I think, uh, but I think some things are easy just because they're written in G flat major, so you can use all the black notes on the keys. Um, you know, I, I do think that at times. And also uh, you're a guitarist, right, as well. You play with guitar. So, you know, I would annoy my guitarist by saying, well, you know, we're going to downtune that one a semitone. Uh, you know, so obviously yeah. I've been there for many years. But, yeah. you know, I would rather do that than hurt myself or strain myself. And yeah. this is the same I would say. Find another it. route. Mm, yeah. find another you way keep kicking yourself then find another route you know or find another song <laughs> yeah yeah there's so many yeah. of them so yeah. um what's your favorite area of voice work because you do so much what's your, what's your what gets you most excited working with people i think probably allowing people to feel that they can open up and open up enough to express themselves in any way um when they realize that they're not actually trying to do something, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to perform this. And they're able to do something which is much deeper and much more connected. And it changes everything that they do. And I was working with somebody this afternoon who, who this time last year, were really, they were really struggling. They were really struggling with where they lived. They were really struggling with the course that they were on. They were struggling with friends. They were struggling with themselves. And and I think everybody does in time at times if they grow up. I, I think if you get through teenage years without some battles, I think you're very lucky. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how you've done it. Um, <laughs> and today I, I spoke to them half about music, but then half about their journey over this year. And I said, what is it that you've done? Because they've found a new depth in the songs that they're writing, in what they're doing with their voice in the openness that they're able to express themselves, it is incredible what they've been able to do over the last year. And some of that, um, some of that is, is what they've done. Some of that has been the circumstances that they've found themselves in. From my perspective, I, I do believe that if you wanna support somebody, you've gotta give them space. So rather than say, you've gotta do this, you've gotta do this, you've gotta do this. Sometimes it's a, just to stand back and allow them to, come out of the chrysalis, I guess. Mm. And, and I think that's probably the most enjoyable and the most satisfying because you see people grow. You know, I play about with, you know, recently I've been doing a lot on, on pentatonic scales with pop singers and, and to see them get that, that's joyful. 
but that's doing something mm. you know um uh, a lot of people are able able to do a lot with particularly with the larynx it's almost as if the larynx knows what it needs to do if we don't get in the way yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely and we get in the way because we're sort of taught to i think by society and by the very visual and and, and aural nature of, of what society is now and particularly through um phones and tablets and all sorts of things like that you know Mm. it's a different world now isn't it to when we were growing up mm. and it's know. perpetually changing you know the English language is changing um technology is changing music's changing and I think that gives us but at the same stage all of those things that still change but still there is a basic human need to communicate and we see that at the moment which has become difficult because this is the closest that we're going to get yeah. to each other absolutely um and I think that that's a really interesting moment for us as a people to um to take stock on the things that we need and 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 how and how much we really need to work together as a as a people um and what will we do when we come out of this strange lockdown yeah mm. so it's really the yeah it's the unlocking it's the it's the channeling i guess it's the allowing people to find something that's often quite simple but that's just covered up the the clutter i suppose of, of our daily lives of our of our what we do to cover ourselves up i guess makes perfect sense so how about yourself then have you have you had any moments of vocal freedom what does that mean to you vocal freedom gosh uh vocal freedom is i suppose being able to express myself appropriately or inappropriately at some point and yeah so depending on if I'm trying to do something that's more I don't know I don't want to I don't want to be so so um simplistic to say you know something classical as opposed to something um rock when I when I'm connected to myself and I'm connected to breath usually things fall into place yeah yeah I I think it in some ways it's as simple as that but it's not because (laughs) As you said earlier, you know, you don't want to see the technique on stage. I don't want to be thinking about, oh, here comes that B flat, that top B flat. Okay, you ready? But actually, to a certain extent, that's what I do. Yeah. And it is. And if there was one, if there was one thing I was going to write on my studio wall, um, it would be in big, bright red letters, anticipation. Okay. It's rather than getting to the note and going, ah, Mm. to get to the note and go, I've practiced this. I practice this, I know how it's going, I know exactly what I need to do when, I need to take a breath, I need to let go, I need to, and there it comes, and here we go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like a, a 400 meter runner, maybe, or an 800 meter runner that goes around once, they get the bell, and then they come around that final sort of corner. And, you know, for the guys, there's usually a little, I don't know, an Algerian, maybe, I think I seem to remember seeing a little Algerian or something like that, um, who's a pacer, who's just really running on it. And the person who's going to win is going to be probably sat on his shoulder. Mm. and he knows exactly how many paces he's got to do and he saved the amount of energy so that when he comes around that corner and the little guy just gets tired that he just goes stepping off and when they win they don't win and go ah! they win and go I've practiced this a thousand times I know exactly what I'm doing when here we go thank you yeah and I think for those of us who do those big money notes the the the, the big riffs um uh, you know the long phrases I think that's the same for us I think we practice and we work on it we drilled to a certain extent and we find a way of being uncluttered Mm. Um, and I think that's where joy is as well yeah definitely and also do you feel like you know you can trust your voice oh gosh that's a really deep question (laughs) can you feel that you can trust your voice is there trust in voice unpack that one that will take longer than tonight okay <laughs> that will take longer than today I threw that uh, one in just for you I think if our voice is 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 a um an outlet of of what we are if a, if a voice is us being able to express ourselves in sound then I think we have to trust ourselves yeah and maybe for a lot of people that's a really really difficult thing I think when it comes to the the moment you're talking about there about you've you've done the drilling you've done the rehearsal you know you can do it but there's still 
perhaps self-doubt somewhere along the way, then that's the bit when that when you let go of that, when you let go of the bit you didn't know you were holding on to. Yeah. There may be the freedom, and it, yeah. And then is that a physical thing? Is it a habitual thing? I is think it, it's well, I, I think it can do this with my shoulders. I think it can vary, um, yeah. Is it a is it a physical thing from, you know, from strength or from alignment or something that's going on with the body? Is it more of what we could call a, a, a mental issue over um, which is again is generally down to habits mm. um, and is it down to the moment and, and increasingly what I'm working with which is the autonomic nervous system which is as you mentioned earlier about fight or flight and, and that sort of thing or, or you know that we look at when people are unaware that their body has started to become into a heightened sense of, of reactive mm. a reactive state and that's how we are when we're in performance. Mm. But for the ones who were able to ride that wave, then they're the ones who can do it really, really well and still keep clearing thinking. Yeah, uh, keep, absolutely. Keep, keep their thinking clear. So I think um, I did a seminar a couple of years ago where I said, if you can imagine that the reptilian part of the brain is basically going danger, danger. And then the mammalian part of the brain, again, in simplistic terms, is saying, it's OK, it's an audience. It's only an audience. And while those two are talking to each other, that becomes almost a a short circuit of which our main neocortex of the brain is absolutely of no use. Mm. And if a lion ran into the room now, I wouldn't be sat there thinking, oh, shall I play it? Shall I, shall I play the tune on the piano? Oh, shall I, I'll get a perm out. I would be out of the window before I could even think about it. Mm. And so the problem is that while that is happening and the neocortex gets closed off almost, and that's where our words are. That's why people forget words. That's why they end up, you know, standing like a rabbit in headlights. And I think increasingly, um, and I'm sure this used to go on, but I think we're more aware of it now. I don't think this is just something new to society, but I think we're at a stage where we are more aware that people are living literally on the edge a lot more. Yeah. And even those in, in what we think of as, as, as the developed world, we are now living on the edge and on, on red alert, on, on, on amber alert most of the time. And I think the only way that we can move forward is when we can undo that and, mm -hmm. and allow ourselves to, one, be aware of what's going on with that sort of psychophysiological uh, system. Um, and secondly, then to be able to not so much calm it or suppress it, but to be able to work with it. Mm. Uh, and as somebody said to me today, you know, well, actually, um, if I keep if I keep doing that, then actually I'll, I'll get better at it because I won't be so nervous or and I said, well, OK, that's maybe one way of looking at it. Uh, I'll be interested to talk to you in a few months time when you've done that and then you get nervous again or whatever yeah, nervous think, is to you. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm probably talking about that sort of unconscious competence uh, model of um, expertise when you get to the stage that you don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, it's it's ingrained. And yeah, and obviously habitual patterns can interfere if you slip back to default on that night because something's distracted you or whatever. But yeah, I suppose I'm striving for the unconscious competence. I think we're always, but the only problem is that the it, that is a great model as long as we're in a position where we're calm mm. and that fight or flight is not happening. Yeah. But if we're in, and, and again, I noticed this within a, a fight, um, even though we're not trying to hurt each other, we're still trying to get points. And so we've just done some drills. We've just done a particular sort of uh, something in, in training, in practice, and then what happens is as soon as we go into a fight situation, adrenaline starts to run and we go straight back to old habits. Wow. And that's the same. I'm sure you see that for singers at times where, you know, they've got it in the studio. They can do it. How many times do we hear people saying, I can do it when I'm in the room with you. But when <laughs> I go home, it doesn't work. Sometimes. Go, yeah. Ah, OK, yeah. so what is it? Is it the instruction? Because I'm not doing it for you. Mm. You know, is it the instruction? Is it is it is it a space? That you're giving yourself so you can find it is it a gradual movement away from what you were doing before um and i think that's a really challenge that's a big challenge for us um when we're working with people who are not the same every day definitely you know go on then one of the one of the things that i say to people um and particularly students when i'm working with them for the first day anybody who i've worked with as a in actor training will know this is that i say look I'm really, in some ways, not going to teach you anything. I'm going to try not to teach you anything. I'm just going to try and help you understand how the hell this thing works. Yeah. 
But more importantly, I'm mostly interested in not good speech and particularly for those in, in spoken voice, I'm not really interested in pretty voices. I want to make words land. And so if I'm gonna sell anything, I'm gonna sell the idea that, or, or please, 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 when, uh, when you're in a position where you're trying to communicate something, it's not good enough just to have a pretty voice. That's not what this is about. It's about making sure that those words land and that somebody who is listening to you actually receives that yeah, rather that's... than it just being, yeah. I'm speaking nicely. Yeah. So I, I'd rather give a philosoph philosophical piece rather than a, a marketing <laughs> me. Yes. I'm sure I'll get a chance to, that for the future. And it's also, I, you know, yes, I, 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 that would be a great thing, but I'm more interested in the work and the people um, rather than it being it's all about me. I suppose maybe, and I could sort of, I could play with putting this in a bit earlier, but when if I go back to the um, describe your journey with your own voice, I'm, I am interested in in hearing how you became a singer. Wow. Um, I didn't become a singer. I think I always was. Um, it's something that I did from very, very young. Um, they threw me into church choir before I could fit into a chorister. Um, literally, it was getting me in the choir. We had, I, I, I came from a place we had no money. So um, anything that you can do that will, one, keep the kids occupied, and secondly, um, get four pence on a Tuesday for a, practice and sometimes we even got 14 pence for singing at a wedding you know that was whoa. we did two <laughs> weddings on a Saturday that was brilliant so it's something that I already always did and I always luckily did well mm. um, and I think there are times uh, when I changing voice I think where I struggled when I was sort of 17 18 19 maybe um, until I sort of came through that and realized ah okay I, I, I get it I've got to think of it in a different way um, but I think it's something that I always was. And I think when people say, I want to learn to sing, I say, no, 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 you can already sing. That doesn't give you the right to be on La Scala in Milan. Yeah. You know, or the Prince of Wales Theatre. But everybody can sing. I, I do completely believe that. Um, I think we have exacting standards in some genres of music. And as a friend of mine has said once, in singing, pitch is not an option. <laughs> which I quite like as a sort of, as a play thing. Um, fun. But I think there's another question there, which is why, why do we sing? And I came across this, I can't remember whether I mentioned this to you before we met, but um, why do we sing? And that's a question that I've never asked myself until about two years ago. And that was quite a big moment to say, well, yeah, why, why do we sing? And then started looking into that and looking at the history of um, why humans get together and sound and what it does for us. And particularly when you hear about studies where they've worked out that a choir, their hearts are beating at the same rate, which is phenomenal. And then I asked the question, well, hang on a minute. So do we go to sing so that our hearts can beat as one? Or are we really going to acquire to actually for our hearts to beat as one? Is that the initial thing? And the singing is actually just a small part of it. Mm. So there are lots of other questions that start to arise from that. Um, when we sing together, you know, what does that reveal? Um, how difficult is that? And, and another example, um, working with a group of actors and then asking them to sing some poetry and to just give them the opportunity to um, offer a part of the poem as a song. Most of them were scared stiff. But the beautiful thing was, um, and, and some of them did actually get up and, and actually sort of offer something, um, even in a way that is just in the moment, you know, and just playful, which for some of us, we might find that easy, but for some of them, that's a big challenge. Mm. And what the really interesting thing was that came after that was a guy who came back with reflections who said, I love to sing. And I really wanted to get into the circle. I really wanted to do something in the middle, but I couldn't. And I couldn't because I was being asked to. Normally I sing when I want and I choose when I want, but then to be asked to sing was really, it, it really threw him. Mm. And I thought, gosh, that's really interesting because my whole life I've been sort of turned out to sing, you know, 7.30, can you make sure you're ready? You know, you've got a, you've got a wedding at 10 o'clock. You've got, a, you've got this, um, you know, this harmony at four. And so 
it's been often for the pleasure of others. Yeah. Or it seems as if it's for the pleasure of others. And I think it definitely is. I you know, agree. I think we do give that and we hopefully give it selflessly, even though we might get paid for that. I agree. Um, and I, I, I oh, go on. And that becomes really important. I was going to say, actually, one of the one of the other um, people I spoke to recently for this podcast was um, Juliet Russell, who you may well mm -hmm. know. And uh, one of her insights, I think of a light bulb moment I'll share with you, was she was saying that when when she connected with It's Not About Me, you know, like you're on stage, you're singing, you're getting a festival crowd going, whatever it is. And she was like, it's not about me. And when you let go of it being about you, you somehow you can you can relieve a lot of the anxiety because it's not about you. It's not about them looking coming to see you and, and, and them judging your voice. It's more about your giving to them. And I thought that was a really nice way of putting it. Because and I think like you, I mean, I was woken up. I remember I have my earliest memories of being woken up and I was still in a cot um, and being carried downstairs and stood on the puff in the middle of the lounge and being told to sing to entertain my my parents, friends, because I used to do a mean Miss Piggy when I was about three um, of yeah. the boy I love is up in the gallery and I used to wave my dad's handkerchief. And, and for me, it was just a fun expression and and I I love the Muppet show so it was it was it was fun but I do remember being a bit annoyed with my mum for like waking me up <laughs> I was like really can I just, just go to sleep um but yeah it's, it's funny isn't it so I think your circumstances and the way that you've you've um music has always been there and singing's always been there it's not it's not it's, you know you haven't got in your own way by the sounds of it no um uh, no, not at all. I mean, you're right in what Juliet says as well. I mean, it's about being a conduit again, mm. isn't it? It's about being a pipeline and don't get in the way. Yeah. And I work a lot more now with, um, I, I still want to make sure that you're present though. Yeah. You know, I do want to feel you as the the, the mover, you know, the, the translator, the conduit for this. So you've Definitely. got to make sure that you're there. Um, but also, I suppose, in going back to breath, then you have to think about, some of the Eastern traditions, which look as breath as prana and prana is life. Mm. And so uh, again, trying to uh, be a little bit more philosophical about it. What we're doing is sending life to people. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and when we do that within, when we do that within voice and, and what we think of as song, then we do something that's much more constant. And rather than it being broken up, we're doing something that's actually vibrating and allowing vibrating cells to work together. So yeah. we are, we're sending life to each other, even when we sort of stroke people with our, <laughs> with our voices. You know? Oh, that's a lovely um, way of putting it, Jed. I love that. <laughs> Stroking people with our voices. I love well, that. I, think, I mean, let's face it, some do, you know, yeah. you listen to some voice and you just go, oh. Yeah. I was listening to a, a Beth Rowley. Um, the other day in the car and it just seemed to work she just she just does something in a very dusty Springfield way that just gets underneath you you just think where is this voice coming from um, and um, and I think when you allow yourself to be um, moved because that's what we're trying to do isn't it we're trying mm. to move people definitely so we need to reach them for a start. Mm. And, <laughs> and land so it. I think, um, yeah, if we're if we're going to do that, then it's it, it is it's about trying to do something that you have to you have to know where you're at and know where they're at for you to actually give it to them. Otherwise, it becomes very false, and it just becomes I'm just singing at you now or speaking yeah. at you. Exactly. Um, and there's definitely a difference between singing or speaking at somebody, speaking to them and talking or singing with them. And I'm, I'm a big believer of that. So that presence is, is, is so important. And even to the stage of um, spending, you know, 20 seconds to just orient um, on a stage and just to be able to take in that moment of, wow, that is a lot of energy from, from an audience. And that can work the same as a, at a conference. Mm. Um, I've seen as well, I've speaking at a conference where, you know, so much energy is coming, is coming at you from, um, from the audience um, that you have to deal with that first <laughs> yeah. awesome that's brilliant thank you so much for your time Jed it's been a really lovely conversation and I hope people have got more awareness of how you feel about vocal freedom and and your journey and your light bulb moments and 
how you look after yourself and your clients as well. So thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.